welcome to another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. I am your co-host, Tejan Graham, alongside my guy, the one, the only, Mr. Jason Little. Jason, how are you doing today? Good, man, good. Today we have another special guest for you guys. You know, he's a great friend of both Jason and I, a fellow Scarborough native, and currently in his fourth year at Nipissing and captain of the men's soccer team. Please welcome to the Lakers Locker Room, Devin Dudnap. Devin, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. Thank you guys for having me on here. How's everything been, man? Like, you staying safe? Yeah, you know what it is? This, this COVID life is uh, it's taking its toll on everyone, especially from a athletic standpoint. You're just trying to stay in shape, stay fit, and when we're good to go next year, we're good to go. But until that point, you just got to stay ready. You know what I mean? How are you handling school with uh, COVID and everything going on, you know? School is school, man. School's never been my uh, my strong point. I'm trying my best. That's uh, it's my last year. I just want to get it done at this point. We're going to get right into it, man. Um, we're going to start with the obvious, you know, being on the soccer team. You guys were one of the first teams to find out that your season was canceled due to the pandemic. Just talk about reaction when you found out there was no season and what expectations you had for this season had there been one. It was tough because uh, we had a we had a tough end of the year. You know, we were um, we made playoffs, but we lost in the first round of UFT, and it, it was tough because we had a we had a lot of guys that were really injured, and we didn't feel like we hit our full potential last year. You know, you have guys. It's a short season. You play fourteen games. It's two games a weekend. And you're running on the field for ninety minutes, and you know you, it starts to mount up. And when you're in that last stretch, you feel like you can do it, and we didn't do it, which was unfortunate. So we never thought we we wouldn't get the chance to redeem ourselves. You know, so. Guys were training hard, man. We were working out. We had 60 on workouts all semester working out. Then school gets canceled, and you think, all right, we'll still have the we'll still have the season later on. So guys are training hard, and all of a sudden, like, was it like June or May? They called everything off, and it was just like a. Uh, it was weird. You didn't know how to react, right? Because you're like, damn, like we're not going to get a season. Like it's it's done, and we have to wait. We don't know how long we have to wait to get the opportunity to do this again, right? So it was more just shock than anything. How have you guys had to adjust since there's no season? Like for us, like we still practice, but what do you guys do since there's no season? Yeah, we still trained. Like uh, we we came back the first week of September, and it was um, again. It was the protocol was so strict we couldn't. The first week we couldn't even touch the ball. We were just running, you know. And then uh, the second week it was individuals. You couldn't pass the ball to each other, so it was individual. Uh, it was skill training, and then finally by the third week we could pass the ball, and then we could shoot, and then the fourth week we could scrimmage, right? So it was October and we only just started uh, playing scrimmages and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a weird adjustment for us. And then um, we were done by the last week of October. So in reality, we were training for like a month and then that was it. And then it's uh working on your own team workouts for a bit. And then that was it. We, did, we were supposed to start training again in November, but again, we had that mini outbreak, I guess, at the, on campus. So we couldn't train and yeah, it was, um, it's been interesting for sure. It's been, uh, it's been difficult, but I think it's, uh, in some ways it brought the team closer together, you know, cause you still have to, you still have to do team activities to bond as a team, bring the new guys in. And I think we managed to do that fairly well. How have you guys been able to stay mentally locked in? Because during this time, it's super hard to stay mentally locked in knowing there's no season, but just in case there is one next year, you guys have to get ready. So how are you guys able to stay locked in? I think, uh, I think for us, cause our season is, is so short, you know, usually in a regular, we start, August 10th earliest and then we go to you know we, we usually make playoffs every year so we go to end of October and uh so that's only a span of two and a half months really and then the rest of the year it's a it's a game where you have to it's all about self-accountability you have to hold yourself accountable for your fitness your shape your technical ability your tactical ability you you are responsible for that because in the offseason we only train as a team twice a week and we only have team workouts like two times a week that's four four days of the week right? So 
I think uh, with COVID, it's all been an individual battle. And uh, as a leadership group, myself, Tyrell, Lachu, it's been our jobs leaders to motivate the younger younger kids and younger guys to stay in shape, stay going to the gym, keep up with your touches and that stuff. So that's uh, that's what we've been doing, trying to keep as a team doing our stuff as individuals, but with a team mindset that we're going to be ready for next year. Because we had a really good looking squad coming to this year. We had, we had a bunch of new recruits, really good some transfer students as well that were like a ball, kids like a ball, man. Like uh, it, it was looking like a good season for us. And then obviously get shut off. It's like you have to wait a whole other year and you have to adjust to that. But, you know, the mindset stays the same. We want to win. We want to compete. We're not in this league to – we're not happy to be here. We want to win. And that's the mindset we're trying to instill to everyone else. Right. So, obviously, with no season came the temporary normal of online school. What has your experience been with online school so far? And what has been the biggest adjustment you've had to make? Uh, like, I've had a couple online classes here and there, like, before this year. But, I mean, like, for being primarily online, like, it was just uh, – for me, it was the motivation because it, with online school, it's so, it's so easy to say, yeah, I'm not doing this lecture today. You know, I don't feel like it today. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to do this. And again, like, I don't know if I'm alone, but I think that it felt like the workload had increased because you have a like, discussion post every week as your participation mark. And meanwhile, in class, some kids don't really participate. So now you're being mm-hmm. forced to participate. So you have more work. But I think uh, on a personal level, I was, I'm in my last year of my undergrads. I'm, like, I'm just going to get this done. And I'm working as well. So it was, I've just map my time out but I'm a fourth year student so it's easier for me as a first year I don't know like you know it's difficult to come in you expect being class and you're online and you don't have that professor uh student relationship you're going to see your classmates so it's a uh, as a first year it's different but as a as a fourth year I think I was like I'm I'm doing this I'm going to get it done because it's my last year you know do you think it's helped you learn easier or has it improved your grades in some type of way I, I wouldn't say it's improved my grades I think uh you know, I'm a very uh, talkative person. I like to talk. I like to be in person and interact with people. So being online and having like no lectures, just the slides, that doesn't really suit me very well as a person. But I mean, like, again, I'm, I have the mentality where I'm like, I need to get this done. I'm just going to do my work. So I think for me, my grades have maybe dropped a little bit or stayed the same, but it, it's just, that's my mindset as a fourth year student. I need to get this done. So that's, that's how it was for me. Yeah. What do you tell the first year guys that you guys have? Because not only are they coming to their first year university, they're now dealing with a whole new norm of online school. So what do you just tell them to get them through this? Well, I actually have one of the, one of the guys on our team in the first year, he lives with me in my house. So like, I've been able to see how it is for him. And it's just like, it's just offering support. Like, Hey man, if you need to help, I'll help you. If you need me to proofread, I'll help you because first year is scary enough as it is. You know what I mean? But to not, first of all, to not be able to play your sport you came here for, not be able to go to classes you're not meeting anyone new you're just kind of stuck in your room doing your homework and first your courses you know they just it's all intro stuff so it's just tons of information coming at you and it's hard to digest so i think the notion of letting the rookies know that you know we're here for you if you want if you need our help we'll help you you know and i've had some good conversations with some of the rookies and you know just letting them know like yeah it'll get better it'll get easier but if you need me to help you i'll help you yeah because i think I think it's lucky too because since I'm in my second year, I've at least had a year under my belt in university. I at least know how it goes. Had this been last year, my first year, I don't know how this would have gone because yeah. I don't know anything about what to expect in university. I don't know how the course is going to work. I don't know what the content is going to be. But now that I've at least had a year, I agree. Like I think it's helped the fact that I've been able to kind of go yeah. to university yeah. and I've been okay. Like I haven't really struggled with that much. But like you said, it's hard. Like when you're a first year, you don't know what to expect. And it's great that they have captains like you to tell them, okay, this is what you need to do. You got to proofread this. You got to proofread that. You got to write this in a certain way. Like, because that's the biggest adjustment too. like people 
come from high school to university think, oh, I got 90s in high school. I'm going to get 90s university. No. Transition's crazy. <laughs> no. And I think, too, like, with, with our team, we had a period where it's like, on the field and off the field is two different people. On the field, I want I, I want to win. I'm not yeah. here to to just, you know, be grateful for being here and get to play. No, I want to win. You know, the last, the, last, uh, the last two years, you made playoffs, you know, and we want to win. So, on the field... We're going to ride you because if you're not at a level where we need you to be to win, there's a problem. So we're going to get you to that level on the field by any means possible. But off the field, we'll help you with whatever you need, right? So you got to understand, like, these kids come in, they have to know it's two different mindsets, on the field and off the field. On the field, it's a win at all costs. I don't care. It's a win at all costs. We have to win. And, you know, like, and we have a way that's worked for us. So either you fit in that way or you don't. But off the field, Anything you need, any help, you know, if you have problems with your homework or your personal life, you know, mental health, we'll help you. You can come to us. That's it. But it was, it was finding a healthy balance between those two mediums because a lot of the times I think guys, they come in in their first year and they're used to being, you know, like in their, in their high school team or their, their rep program, they're, they're, they're the man. They're, you know, you're the star of the show. Your first year here, you got to understand it's a seniority-based program. The guys have been here four years. They worked their they you know, worked work hard to achieve what they've achieved. You don't get to just come walk in. It's easy like that, right? So for a lot of kids, it's that culture shock where you got to come in and you got to understand this is a program that demands a lot, a lot from you because it's such a short period of time to compete. You need to be ready right away. And then so off the field, you might say like, well, these guys are so hard on the field. Can I trust them off the field? But of course you can. Like we want you to succeed on and off the field. So you can come to us feel and feel comfortable, but again, it's like finding that balance between on the field success and off the field success. And that's, a, I think that's a, been a big thing for us this year. Anyways, let's shift gears. You know, let's talk about your upbringing, you know, Scarborough native, you went to Wexford, but something I learned about you recently is that you went there for drama. I did go to drama. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah talk about that. I, uh, I had a, I had an interesting upbringing. I think, you know, being like you're from Scarborough, you know what Scarborough is like, man, it's, it's different. It's a lot of Caribbean cultures and it's, it's not the easiest place to grow up. I think, I think we've all seen things kids shouldn't have to see. Like, again, like I grew up in like a average middle to lower middle class neighborhood. You know what I mean? It was, um, my parents, like they worked, they worked, they worked hard, as hard as they possibly could, you know, to, to give my, me and my brother a good education. So, and my parents, uh, they saved up a lot of money to, for me and my brother to go to a Montessori school for the fir- our first few years. And then, uh, so we did that. And then after that, it was public school and you learn a lot. Like you just see things it's like even playing sports. Like I was playing for, uh, this club called Scarborough Blizzard and it's all like, it was all Caribbean, you know, like Caribbean was like, I'm, I'm, I'm training Guyanese, you know, where you play with Jamaicans, play with guys from St. Lucia, Barbados, and you see the different culture, right? And Scarborough is just like a huge melting pot of Caribbean culture. And you, you learn a lot. Like, like again, Tejan, you know, man, you, you meet people and it's like, you yeah, learn right. a lot because people have that, that street mindset. You know, like like hustle at all costs to win at all costs. Do what you got to do to get by in life. Because like, we know, like, for our parents, it was like, my parents coming here as immigrants, it, w- it wasn't easy. So, like, we see our parents and, like, our community struggle to try and help us succeed. So, as you're growing up, you feel a responsibility to succeed and, you know, make your family proud, make your, your, your roots proud. You know what I mean? And so, again, going to middle school, going to, again, going to high school for Wexford, like, I went to Wexford because my mom taught there. And her thing was like, yeah, because I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I got, I got in trouble in, in, you know, in, in middle school in seventh or eighth grade. Principals, you know, with police and all that stuff, you get in trouble. So she was like, you're coming to my high school, so I can keep an eye on you. That was it. And then, um, and her high school again, it was Wexford, it's a performing arts high school. So if you're there, 
you got to go for visual art, performing art. And um, I got lucky enough where they just put me in performing arts. And then that was a good experience too, because you see another side of life. Like I had no idea about this kind of stuff, like theater and all that stuff. Like I wasn't a thing. And I, I loved it. I love, uh, you know, I, I was there for five years. And I loved learning about, you know, like Shakespeare and different kinds of, of, uh, of theater and art and writing. And it really influenced who I am today. So I'm glad to say like I have both sides of upbringing. You know, I had the athletic side and the and the artistic side and I think that's definitely molded me into who I am today. I think Toronto and Scarborough especially like there's so many different people from different backgrounds every walk of life in one little corner of the city and everyone's just trying to get by and you learn a lot from everybody, you know. It's a a very inclusive place I'd say Scarborough. I also want to touch back on something you said too. Um the success thing. And I think you're totally right. When you have parents that come from another country and they start from the ground up and work their way up. Like my dad came here in 1975 at 11 years old. My mom came in when she was six. Like mm-hmm. just hearing their stories, I've seen where they started and came to the way up. I remember my dad's always telling me, listen, like all the stuff you have now, like basketball shoes, you live in a house, you get food on the table. Like my dad was like, my dad grew up with a single mom. She had to work. Like nothing came easy. So like just seeing where my parents came from and where they are now motivated me to do what I want to do. 100%, yeah. Yeah, because people get this Mr. Truman that listen, like just because um you get everything in life doesn't mean that it was easy. Like, like your parents, your parents had to work for that. Like there's a reason why they instill all these work ethics in you because it's not easy. Like people think when you're like a preteen to like teenagers, yeah, everything's handed to you. But once you're like 18 and you go to university, like, and that's the thing again, like when you go from like high school where everything gets handed to you by the teachers and the teachers are following you around, then you go to university and then you got to do everything yourself. It goes I, back uh, to I think even in like, in, in, in a, especially as young men from that age gap, from the time you're like, you're 12 to your 20s, you're, 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 you're very cognizant of the fact that you're a young adult, you're a young man growing up in this world. And like, there's expectations of you as a man. And you feel like sometimes you can't meet those expectations. And like, I think a, a lot of a lot of young men like suffer with mental health because they feel the the weight of expectation on their shoulders and you know like and a lot of times like especially you know as like in, in Caribbean culture we, we don't talk about mental health you know what I mean like it's just not no. something that's conversation no. like it's just because like again my parents like my my mom's family was refugees you know they had to flee Guyana in the middle of the night come to Canada and they just you know my, my grandpa doesn't talk about it he just gets on and do it. You know, I know my dad, my dad had to come here, 25, no money, $200 in his pocket. That's it. And try to figure out life in Canada. And, you know, that's tough, but don't, don't talk about it. The entire, the entire notion of like with Caribbean men is, you know, we don't talk about it. We just, we get, we buckle up, we do what we got to do and we do it. And as, as kids, you're growing up in an environment where you have more than your parents. You you don't have everything, but you have more than your parents did. So, you know, you want to feel grateful for that, but you also don't have everything. And, you know, you're struggling with that notion, like, I should be grateful. I don't know what to do. And it affects your mental health. But you're told as a man, you can't talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. and that has a real effect on us. And as you, I think it's important, to, um, like, mental health is something I'm really passionate about. So I think, like, uh, it's important for us as, as young men, of not just of, you know, Caribbean descent, but as young colored men, that we have to be able to feel comfortable speaking to each other about mental health and the things that are, are affecting us. You know, and that goes for, for men of everyone, all kinds of, uh, every man, men of every color, every, you know, creed orientation. It's just like, we have to stop this stigma where we hold everything inside and we can't, we feel like we, we can't talk about it because it's damaging. And and I think we all know as, as young adults growing up as teenagers, everyone went through stuff, you know, and I'm sure if 
we, we could talk about it with someone and would have helped us easier man, to understand. But at the same time, recognize what I went through shaped who I am as a person. I feel that if you can make that transition for the kids now easier than it was for us, we're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, like, he's absolutely right, though. There's, Jason, like, there is honestly a, a true stereotype when it comes to, like, Caribbean men. Like, I'll say this, though, like, crying is seen as weak. Like, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't cry. Yeah, I hate to interrupt you, but, like, uh, I think the worst thing we're taught is the, is the worst thing we can be is weak as men. That's what we're taught. The one yeah. thing, you can be anything, but you can't be weak. And to a certain extent with sports, like that goes on the field. And like, I, I know, like I, I carry that. I tell all my guys, like when we're on the field, you cannot be weak. Like you can't be, you have to be tough. You have to be able to fight for 90 plus minutes and you can't, you cannot be weak. Cause if you're weak, they'll smell at the other team and they'll come and they'll kill you for it. But off the field, you know, it, I think it's hard to distinguish with, um, with athletes on, you know, on the field, on the court or on and off the field or on and off the court, because like, you're so used to say like when you're in season, you're training five days a week, you're playing two games a weekend. You, you're like, you're turned on all the time, right? Like you're, you're constantly in like in fight mode. And it's hard to understand that once you're off the field that you can, it's okay to, if you're going through your personal life, you know, it's a little rough for you or you're, you're struggling with school or you got family issues. It's okay to open up to your teammates. You know what I mean? You don't have to be in that, in that, you know, fight mode, no, no fear, no weakness mode when you're off the field, when you're mm. off the field, that's why you have a teammate. It's supposed to be your family, right? You're supposed to trust the guys beside you, the left and your right of you. So off the field, I feel like you should be able to open up and express yourself to these teammates because your family will never shun you. You know what I mean? Like if one of my teammates said, Devin, man, I'm going through something. I had a rough time. Can I talk? I'd be like, 100%, man. It's okay. You can open up to me. We're not, we're not playing soccer right now. We're, we're just talking. We're just two friends. When we're on the field, I know when I'm on the field, I forget my whole everything about my life. When I'm playing soccer, it's like a, an escape for me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm focused on soccer. I want to win. I want to compete. I'm not worried about my personal life. But off the field, sometimes, you know, like, it all comes back to you. You got to talk to someone. And I think opening that discussion up between teammates and, and friends is, is, is very important for, for young men. We had this conversation last year, and I really want to get your opinion on this. I want to see if our um, thought process aligns. Are you the type of person, when it comes to trust with teammates, right, are you the type of person to give your trust automatically or they have to earn your trust? It depends, you know, like, um, gr- growing up, like I, you know, obviously growing up, you don't, you're taught, you know, you can't trust everybody. That's just a matter of fact. You cannot trust everybody. And you see people that burn you or they burn your family members. And you're like, that teaches you, you can't trust anybody. But I think, um, I think trust and it's, it ties into trust and respect. Like as a, when you're on the field, when, when I was my first year here, I had to earn those guys respect on the field. I had to earn their trust on the field. You know what I mean? But off the field immediately, it's like I could talk to anyone. I remember my first, uh, my recruiting trip, not even, I hadn't even signed yet. My recruiting trip, um, the session happened. We had a session and um, it, it, we were playing a scrimmage. And the first thing I did is I got the ball and I went to play a pass and I gave it away and another team scored. And like right away, like like the guy's like, it's okay, man, keep going, don't worry about it. And then after the session, Salty, uh, Matt came to me, he's like, hey, man, I'm Salty, nice to meet you. You know, if you need anything, let me know. So there was that immediate trust where they, got, they were like, Yes, on the field, we want to win. But, you know, like off the field, we're your family. So off mm-hmm. the field, as soon as, as soon as a new guy comes in on the, on the team, I'm bringing him in. They're welcoming. But on the field, you got to prove to me that you belong on the field because it's, mm-hmm. it's cutthroat in the day, right? Like there's, a, there's 10 spots on the field. You're, you're, you might be trying to get my spot. I'm not giving up my spot. So we're competing against each other on the field to, to get that starting spot, to play and to win. 
So you're going to have to earn my respect on the field because I've never seen you play before. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about you. If you if you can't play the level I need you to play at so I can win, it's going to be a problem. But off right. the field, right away, as soon as you're part of that team, you can come to me. You can talk to me. I don't care. You know what I mean? Because you can't perform on the field if you're having problems off the field. You know? And at the end of the day, it's only a game. You know, your career in the OUA lasts five years max. You can't carry the stuff that's been going on for your whole life, the rest of your life, without talking to someone. So I feel like if I can help someone on you know, their time off the field, and they can leave this environment and saying, yeah, like looking back, I had great teammates. It was like a family. They helped me with so much in my life. I think that's a positive impact because you'll remember the stuff off the field for longer than you remember the stuff on the field. Like I like looking back at the years, I remember, you know, road trips, you know, sitting in hotel rooms or on the bus rides talking more than I remember certain games. And I think that's the memory that everyone carries. You know, you want people to look back on that time and say, damn, remember that road trip? Remember the time we were in the hotel room? We talked all night. Like you want to remember that time and the most positive impact because the games that it's like a blur, it comes and goes, you know what I mean? But you know, the, the relationships and the friendships, those last, they can last a lifetime, man. No, that's kind of why we came with the name, you know, the Lakers locker room because, you know, me and Tejan were sitting there brainstorming and like our best memories were literally from the locker room. Room. Exactly. outside of the sport, outside of practice when everyone dies down. Like again, even in practice, you're fighting, you're beating the yeah. crap out of each other. And then as soon as you step in that, that locker room, boom, it's just. Yeah. I, remember, I remember one time uh, it was, it was after a game. I don't know, like we tire something like that and me, uh, me and Cody, who are really good friends. We were, we were like in the change room, like face to face, just going off on each other, just yelling at each other, like beefing. And then like they, they had to separate us and then we had to sit down, whatever. And five minutes, look at each other and we just start laughing because, you know, like, we had the relationship, you know, like as, as teammates, you know, like you want to win, right? So if you feel that some guy's messing up and he's not doing his job on the field, you're going to yell at him, you know? I expect that from my teammates and me. If they think I'm messing around, I'm doing my job good enough, they yell at me and I'll do the same thing at them. But when I'm back in the change room, you know, we get an argument, then five minutes later, we're good. Because that's that's how it's supposed to be. Like, I remember, man, I have, I have times where I've, you know, I swear up to guys in practice. And we're in each other's face, and, like, on the field, yelling at each other in practice. And the next day we're in the change room, we're talking about life for, like, an hour. You know what I mean? Like, I remember one time, me and uh, one of the guys I used to play with, we were in practice, and something happened. We squared up to each other, we're in each other's face, yelling at each other in, in the face. And the next day we're in the team room, and we're just talking, you know, about life for, like, an hour. So you, be, you have to be able to have that balance, that healthy competitive balance with that personal relationship with your teammates. And again, like you're not going to be best friends with everyone on your team, but you got to trust the guys beside you. Yeah, sometimes that also does build like character toughness, and it does help outside yeah. of the actual sport itself. Because then you know you got to understand sometimes same thing as constructive criticism, right? It's like some people can take it offensively, but if you play a sport and you have teammates that are getting on you about messing up and making mistakes and fixing it. And, you know, sometimes it can be rude or hard to take. But, again, after when you realize, hey, it's not being carried out throughout life, yeah, you learn to let things go and understand, hey, it's, it's I, to I help think, develop me as a person. Yeah, I think as, as a first year, you come into the, the program and, like, you have to re- – like, the, the, like, when I came to Nipissing, I was 20. So I was – you know, I had taken a year off. I went to Ryerson for a year. I had played semi-pro. So I, I knew the environment. I knew, like, I was in a team that – this thing is like, it's a business and that you, your business is to win. You have to win. I knew that. But kids that are 17, 18 coming in. It's like, oh, this is sick. You know, it's, I, you, I'm away for the first time, you know, like I'm in res, you know, girls everywhere, you know, like partying, all that stuff. So it's hard to focus on, on the sport. And you know, guys that are 40 or 50, they're like, I've been here four or five years. And I know I'm, I want to win. Like I'm here to win. 
you're not here to have fun. And like, yes, Hagman is part of it, but like, if you don't win, your coach's job was on the line at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is people's livelihood at this point. You know, like, you know, like your coach is full time, you know, like if you guys, you know, got losing, his job's on the line. He can't feed his family if he gets fired at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Same with some of our coaches, you know, if we, we lose and they get fired, but income gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that that's, that's when you come in this environment. That's what you're playing for, you know? So it's not, it's not like youth or like, you know, like for fun, it's like, this is serious business. You know what I mean? Like this is an industry. The only way is an industry. Youth sports is an industry. So you're, you're playing for a team and, and a lot of us are on scholarships. You're getting paid to play. You're getting, you know, you're getting, you know, guys are getting up to, I think it's 4,500 a year to scholarships to play. You're not getting that to lose. You're getting that to win, you know, because you represent the university, you know. So I think that that mindset switch can take some, like some guys get it immediately. Some guys it can take a couple of years, and if you don't get it right away, it can affect your career. Because if your coach doesn't feel like he can put you on the court or on the field and help him win, you're not gonna play. And you know, like like end of the day, like your parents aren't paying for you to to come play. It's you're fighting for your spot. You know what I mean? So you have to be able to recognize that as a man something's wrong with me. I'm not performing. That's why I'm not playing. I need to be better. And as your teammate, I'm going to tell you, yeah, you got to be better. Otherwise you're not going to play. And if you play, we might not win. That's the harsh reality of it. Now a question for you relating to, you know, kind of, you know, put it motivation to perform better. You're talking about how, oh, you we get a $4,500 scholarship. Now if we're going to go talk like NCAA where they're getting full rides free. Do you think that would make a difference? Because I know personally for me, sometimes, you know, you know, finances, it can be hard to actually afford to live, have a good meal. 100%, yeah. I yeah. feel like, I feel like any, for any industry to get better, it has to have more money. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that's just common sense. You know, like if, if you're, if you're starting a business and you have a million dollars, you're going to be better than the guy that has a thousand dollars because you have more money to put into it. If there's more money put into the OUA, you know, like, you're going to attract better athletes. You're going to want guys that want to work harder so they can get that money to pay for the education, maybe a little bit extra, you know? So I just think, of course, money makes a difference. You know what I mean? Like I, I have friends that were, that have full rights to the States and, you know, they're getting like 40 G's a year. You know what I mean? The coverage of tuition covers everything. And they're, mm-hmm. and they're set. And of course it's a motivating factor. You know what I mean? Like if, if you have a coach that trusts you enough to give you that kind of money to play for him, you're going to run through freaking watch with this guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and then, and, you know, as a kid, only so much can be intrinsic. You know what I mean? You have like, as a, as a, as a youth, you want some kind of extrinsic motivator. You know what I mean? Like kids, kids love social media. You know, you love seeing your, your name posted up somewhere and, you know, like athlete of the week, or you score a cool goal and it's on, it's on social media and you get like a last minute, you know, bucket and, you know, you, you, and it's posted, you like that kids like that stuff. That's it. That's extrinsic. And you need some of that to succeed as well. You know, you, because it's, it's our ego. Yeah. We're athletes, you know, you have to have a little bit of ego to succeed. You know what I mean? The humblest guys don't always make it the farthest. You know what I mean? Like, look, look at a guy like Ronaldo, man. He's, he's cocky, but he's the best guys like, like Ibra, he's the best LeBron. He's a little cocky, but he's the best. You know, if, if guys know you were getting full rides and, you know, we had a, you know, you know, big money and, you know, TV, TV deals and all that stuff to, to watch games, there'd be that factor where guys like, I want to be on TV. I want to be seen. You know, I'm going to work hard so I can get on the court. I can get on the field. I can get that TV time and I can prove how good I am. And I can get the extra money because like school isn't cheap. 
You know what I mean? Like we pay like what six, seven grand tuition a year. Plus we got rent. Plus we gotta pay for food. You gotta get equipment and all that stuff. You know, like it's not cheap. So money is definitely a motivating factor for some people. I think. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. Tying into social media, what are some downsides you think to social media? Because I feel like sometimes when it comes to social media, like I'll say this, for example, like basketball. When people play basketball in high school, right? Basketball, there's a lot of mixtapes. So as soon as people see that camera on, people don't really focus on the team concept. It goes automatically to, it's me, 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 me. All of a sudden, it's no longer about the team. It's about me. It's what I can do for myself. Like, what do you think could be some downsides? Well, I, think, uh, I, think, I think in high school, when you're younger, you're, uh, you're looking to get seen by a program. So in a sense, like, it, it, it is about you. But I think most coaches will tell you, like, especially for soccer, like, they'd rather take a guy who, you know, might not be the most talented, but tactically is aware and understands he, is, he has a role to play in the team. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're a guy that, you know, just tries flashy stuff all the time and has no end product, you're not going to get picked. But if you're a guy that, you know, you're steady, you move the ball, you know, you have control and you have some end product, you'll, you'll get picked. But I think um, social media definitely, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a beast with two heads. You know, you have the good side where, you know, you can, you can get seen out there. You can put yourself out there. You can put your highlight tapes. Cause I know like, we all have highlight tapes. I have highlight tapes from when I played semi-pro. That's how I got seen. But at the same time, like when you're when you're 16, 17, you know there's a camera on you and people watching. You're gonna want to show off. That's just natural. And you know, like it, we, we were all that age one time. So we all like showing off. You know, you see a camera on you, you want to flex because you know you're good. You know you have it. But you know that downside is like you know if I know coaches, you know they say like if I see a guy, if they see a guy that's too showy, too flashy, they don't want that. You know what I mean? So, and I think it also leads to a lot of, uh, especially in, in, in teenagers, a lot of mental health issues because you feel like you have to be a certain person online in your online presence. You know what I mean? You have to present yourself as a person you're not, you, you, that's not you. You know, you try and be someone you're not to, to attract attention online. And then the day, like, it's that release of dopamine. You know, you post like a, a video of you, you know, you do a sick shot and then you like, kind of walk up all cocky and you get all the views. Whereas a guy that, you know, hits a shot and turns around and walks away. There's no flash nothing, gets nothing. So you want that attention. You want that views. And as a young, as a young person, you know, if you see that you're not getting those views, you think something's wrong with you. And really nothing's wrong with you. That's just the way social media has shaped generations, you know, that are younger than me. Like I didn't have Snapchat till like 11 or 12th grade, but my brother who's uh, four years younger than me, he had it like seventh, eighth grade. So that, that gap when your brain is still developing, it, it's remolding your brain. It's telling you, you need these likes, you need these views to feel validated. And that's not the truth. And I think it has a negative effect on a lot of kids, even myself as someone that was younger, you know, until recently, I've, I felt like if I, you know, you get more views, you get more likes that defines who you are when that's not true. You know, like it's, it's true. The older you get, the, the more you recognize you don't need to have as many people in your life. You know, if you have a few quality people in your life, that's all you need because that's all you don't need that validation from people you don't even know your people are posting clips online people they have no idea who they even are to comment on and say yeah you're so sick you're so that like that but in the day you turn the phone off who's there for you nobody all these people that are online you don't know once you turn your phone off they're not there whereas if you know you have a few close friends 
they're always there for you. Like I know, like personally, like like uh, with, with you know Tyrell and Chu, I can count on those guys whenever, whenever I need to count on them. I know they'll be there for me. You know what I mean? Those are those are my boys. Those are my dogs. You know what I mean? I don't need to. I don't feel the need anymore to impress people I don't know. Because what's the point of that? You know, there, there's no point. In that. And I think uh, there's one thing I could tell younger people. It's like don't worry about anyone else's things. Focus on you. And in and as far as perspective, if you're too busy focusing on what people in the stands are watching instead of how you're performing, you won't be performing. You know what I mean? Coaches they see that. They see who's really focused in the game and who wants to succeed or who is just trying to show off. You can't yeah. coach someone like that. That won't listen. It wants to show off. You can't coach that. Whereas you have a kid who's got a solid talent base. He listens. He works hard. You can make a kid like that into a superstar. You know, you be coming in 17, 16, 18, thinking you're already a superstar because you're not. You have so much to learn. It's about that coachability. And I think social media plays a big part in that because social media tells you you have to stand out. So you have to show off. You have to flex. You have to do this. You got to be this. You got to have the, you know, the flashy stuff. You got to have the Louis, the Gucci. You have to be this kind of showman to get noticed when that's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. You have to be good at what you do. And it doesn't matter if you show up in like a, you know, Walmart shoes and, you know, a shirt from Old Navy, as opposed to like $400 Jordans and, you know, you got the fancy, the fancy shirt. No one cares about that stuff. And then they, when you get older, no one cares. They care about how well you do your job. If you, if you can hoop in a pair of shacks, no one, and, and you can ball out, no one cares what, what you got on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's about, it's about who you are and what you can do as opposed to, what you wear, you know what I mean? Or, or that, that material stuff. Cause that material stuff, it doesn't last. It never lasts. And that's, I think that's something I've had to learn growing up as well. Like even I'm, I'm 23 and you know, I'm still learning that through certain aspects. You know, it's not about materialistic things. It's not about online presence. It's about who you are as a person. That's what will translate into the rest of your life. I also have this perspective and I want both of you guys takes on this. I think because of social media, like I'll, I'll go back to basketball because I'm a basketball player. I apologize. But in basketball, we have rankings, right? You have the top player in 2019, top player in 2020, top player in 2021. When you see someone in your own class maybe doing better than you and you see it, all of a sudden, for some reason, jealousy comes about and you think, so, okay, why is this person better than me? And listen to me when I say this. I think when people say, see someone in their own class, their own age, where they're from, doing better than them, and like, and you're an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. I think all of a sudden people want to, people will see that and say, okay, this person is good for this reason. Let me completely remodel my game and maybe be like that person. And I feel like because of that, people get lost within themselves. I feel it because people are trying so hard to get noticed, because they're trying so hard to get ranked, because they're trying so hard to get that recognition. They lose themselves because of jealousy. They end up becoming something they're not, and it completely shatters them mentally. So that you say what? 100%, man. Like, like people, you know, they, you, you try and get on overtime. You try and get on, you know, all this stuff like that. That's not what the game is about in the day. You know, you're, it's it's a team sport. As, as cliche as it is, say it's a team sport. You got to play for the team. Yes, you know, like, you have those, we've all had those, those guys you play with that, like, you're like, this guy is something else. Like, they can change a game like this. You know, I had guys growing up, you know, that, like, you know, I played, when I played League One, which is a semi-pro league in Ontario for soccer, I played with a guy called Ryan Reed. And he was, he was a midfielder. And, like, he could do things where you're like, God, like, this guy could go out and win the game on his own if he wanted to. But he was, 
but he was a grinder, bro. Like this guy, he was a dog in the middle. He worked hard. And that's what coaches notice. They know, they know guys that will like sacrifice themselves for the team. You know what I mean? Like you can be a guy that only plays offense, you know, and then you don't want to try it back in defense. Don't the, the extra off right away. You know what I mean? Like there's no point in that. So I think kids, I think our responsibility is older kids that have come through the system. And I feel this more, more myself is to tell younger kids, it's not about that showy stuff, man. It's about doing your job. If you know, if you can't do, if you can't do the basic fundamentals of your role on the field or on the court, you're not going to get selected to go to the next level. And you're going to mm-hmm. say, well, damn, I got a nice kick, you know, like I looked apart, you know, but I feel like I'm balling out. Why am I not getting picked? Because you're not doing your role. When coaches scout you, they're scouting to see how you fit in their system. You know what I mean? Sports, any sport is a game of opinions. One coach might like you, one coach might not, you know, that's, that's just a matter of fact. You know, it is like, like my first year I was a starter. We got a new coach in my second year. I didn't start. I had to prove myself to this guy. And the third year I was a starter. That's how, that's how it goes. Um, mm-hmm. Every sports game of opinion. And as a, as a young youngster, you have to know that no matter what, no matter what a coach thinks of you, he'll respect you. If you work hard for the team, if you're, if you're busting back on defense and getting back for offense, you're making tackles, you know, you're not throwing your hands up, complaining and moaning and, you know, all that stuff. A coach will respect you for that. And I had to learn that too. You know, I was, I was a cocky kid. You know, I thought, you know, because, you know, you know, I could do certain flashy things, you know, I, I deserve a thing. And, I, you know, I, if I, something must I'd be like, gosh, screw I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, screw that. You have to learn that coaches don't like that. They see that and they go, this guy doesn't have it. You know, mentally, he's not there. He, he cares about himself, not the team. And in a team sport, like, you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself for the, for the team, 100%. Like, if my coach told me, Devin, you're playing here today. Yes, coach. No problem. Devin, you're playing here. Yes, coach. No problem. Because it's for the team. It's not about me. It's not about me. If, I don't care. Like, if 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 we lose, you know, like, 6-1 six, six and I score, the, I score the one. Okay, you scored a goal. We lost 6-1. If we, if, we, if, we, if we win 1-0, some guy pokes it in and he scores, I'm still happy because we won. It's not yeah. about you as an individual at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I think that's – I think – that's the biggest burden that social media has put on kids these days. It makes them feel like it's all about them. It has to be about them. Mm-hmm. And a lot Building of that ego, once you reach yeah. it, you almost get comfortable. And once you get comfortable, then it destroys you. Because then yeah. it's like once 100%. you get that slap in the face of holy, new intensity, better competition. Yeah, a lot of these kids, Jason, that's not who they are. But they have they try to be that way. Because they think that's what's expected of them. They think they're supposed to be these kind of like showy, flashy, yeah, all this, you know, you know, this kind of swaggy, cocky. And they're not that person, you know. Like you, you, you can meet guys like that, and I was like that. I thought to be like that way, and I wasn't like that. And it, it messed me up. It, it caused some serious problems for, for me in my life. I thought I had to impress other people. I thought I had to be the man, this and that, and it really messed up a lot of things in my life. You know, looking back, I wish. I, and it's only this year I made that conscious change recently. I realized that's not who I am. So I should stop being safe for other people. And I think a lot of kids are especially 17, 18, 16, 19. They're not able to make that conscious change that I was at 23, that uh, this is not who I am. You can stop being like this. And social media is putting a lot of pressure on kids to be who they aren't. And in turn, that causes a lot of mental health problems because on screen, you're one way and off the screen, you're like, this is not me. Why am I doing this? It's hurting yourself. It's hurting these kids. And I think, um, as older guys, we have to start telling kids, like, it's okay. Just be yourself, man. It's okay to not be that flashy, arrogant guy. You know what I mean? You don't have to do it. That's not impressing anybody. People will value you for who you truly are, you know? 
no one likes a no one likes a, a for like part of my language but no one likes a guy that's like rude so he doesn't give it doesn't give a damn you know like doesn't want to do anything for his teammates guys like you know if if you're a good guy and you know you work hard that guys will respect you for that so just be and then they you just gotta be yourself you put way too much pressure on yourself when you when you get to that point and i feel yeah, yeah. The longer you're up there, the harder it is to let it go. Because yeah, it's it's, it's really like putting on a you're putting on a mask every day. You're putting on you know you turn on your phone, you're putting on a mask saying I'm gonna be this guy, I'm this, I'm that. Then you put your phone, you put your mask on, and you're like, damn, I'm just tired of pretending I'm something I'm not. And I think a lot of kids just pretend they're something they're not because they feel that's what's expected. They think that's what's gonna get noticed. You ask any you ask any coach any sport, they'll take the hardworking you know decent average player over the cocky superstar, you know, guy that doesn't work hard any day. It's it's that, that age-old saying, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't want to work hard, no one's going to pick you. And then you're spending your life thinking because, you know, everyone says, oh, you had that one nice goal, you're so sick, and everyone, you think that people's opinions don't really matter, are going to get you somewhere, and then you realize, oh, wait, these are nobodies that have no say in my career or my life. And I listen to them and I look where I am. I'm nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think also another thing about social media too is social media builds this persona that you're invincible. 100%. So so when people so when people keep posting you and saying, This guy's next, he's the next coming, he's like he's gonna go places, like it builds this persona that you're invincible. And I'm gonna end off this segment by saying this. This is something that was told to me a lot when I was in prep school my last year before I went to Nipissing. Complacency is the death of desire. But I also want to add, too, is that arrogance is a sibling of complacency. Mm-hmm. So when you, I feel like when you're arrogant, that you get complacent because you think, oh, I'm already good. I don't need to get better. And I think that's also a downside of social media is because people have so many of these people telling them how good they are and that they're great and they're going to go to this place and that place and take over and be the next company of a, B, and C, but... That's exactly what I'm saying, Dijon. You have all these irrelevant people telling you, you're this, you're that, man, that's coming. But no coach is telling you nothing. You have someone that's sitting, you know, some, some fat guy sitting on his computer saying, oh, yeah, you're so sick, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And you start to believe it because you see it so many times. That's human nature. If someone tells you a certain thing over and over again, you're going to believe it. That's how it is. But you got to be able to understand that these people behind their screens, their, their opinion is irrelevant. Because they don't, they're not coaches, they're not scouts. They're just some guy that says that looks sick. They don't really know the game, and so you believe. You listen to these people that are telling you, all these voices are saying what you're doing is sick. It looks cool. It's great, but as the coaches and the scouts and the staff, they're not saying anything like that. And you're you're listening to the wrong people, and especially now with social media, it's hard to root out the right voices from the wrong voices. And when you're 16, 17, you want to hear the stuff that reflects good on you. You don't want to hear negative stuff. You want to hear a coach say, this is good, but you have to do this. You want to hear the guy that says, man, you're sick. You're perfect. You're going to make it. You're going to go big. Don't worry about it. You know, you want to, you want to hear that. So you listen to that. And then with the flip side of that, going comes the criticism. You're going to get guys online, especially, you know, with like on overtime, you know, that are criticizing you and you're going to focus on that as well. So it creates this kind of paradox where you have irrelevant people saying both positive and negative things and you listen to it and it messes you up and, you're missing out on the real, the real motivators, the real people that recognize what what you're doing, what you're doing right. You know, right. like I I remember um, when I was 16, I went to, I went to Swansea 
which is uh, at the time they were playing in the Premier League and I was training with their academy. It was kind of like a, a trial thing. And I remember like being there and to me, that environment was nothing like I'd ever experienced because like the coach straight up was like, yeah, like I, I, I didn't get picked. I was like, I wouldn't be here if I got picked. The coach was like, like right now, you're not good enough to add this level for the be this level. You have to do this, this and this and improve. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and do that. But you know, like there's kids nowadays They'll go. They'll hear that coach say, "You're not ready. You have to do this and this." And be like, "You don't know what you're talking about." They'll tell the coach, "You know what you're talking about." All these people online, they'll be like, "Look, coach, look at all these comments online on my post saying I'm a baller. I can do this and that." Coach, you're wrong. And that's the mindset a lot of kids have. They don't want to listen to the the people who know what they're doing. They see the, uh, you know, all the voices of random people, and that's what they focus on. And I think that's that's the biggest mindset we have to change. Is you have to recognize the irrelevant from the relevant. And once you once you're able to do that, your life becomes so much easier. You know, once you're able to to weed out the irrelevant people, the irrelevant noise, the irrelevant you know comments and notions of who, who you're supposed to be as a man, and you focus on the relevant stuff. You know, your close friends, your family, the people, the coaches that know what they're doing. Life becomes so much easier because you re- you recognize what's real and what's fake. And I think that's the hardest thing to do is recognize the real from the fake. As cliche as that sounds, it's the truth. So let's switch back to Nipissing a little bit. So how was your first year and how did you adjust to university life? Like I said, I, I was 20 when I came here. So I was already a little older. I had, I had been at Ryerson for a year because my whole recruit, I remember when I was, uh, my last year of high school, there was this big showcase every year called the Umbro Showcase. Talking to Harvard, believe it or not, Harvard University, I was talking to Harvard. And because they're an Ivy League school, they don't give out athletic. It's only academic scholarships. And I was a bad student in high school. You know, like my grade 12 year, I didn't care. I was, wasn't going to class. I was just chilling. So I didn't have the grades, obviously. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to school and try and get my, because at the time I didn't even have grades to get into Canadian universities. Like I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to go anywhere. And um, so I went back to school for a semester, got my grades back up. Then I was talking to some schools and, you know, in the States and it was like, yeah, we'll give you a half a ride, but you still got to pay like 20 grand US a year. And I was like, I can't do that. So I went to Ryerson for a year. And then my first semester at Ryerson, the, uh, the coach from Nipissing saw my, my league one highlight video and contacted me and wanted me to come down. I loved like my first weekend here. I loved it, man. Like, like everyone was so nice. The facility, like the team room, it was amazing. You know, these guys had a big TV speaker, these big stalls, you know, PlayStation and thing. And I was like, yo, this is lit. The, the guys were nice in the team, the coach at the time, you know, he was talking, saying all the right things. So I signed. And then my first year here, it was like a, the we were doing we were building the new field the new stadium was being built so we were training at a high school and um just it was such a good environment man like the guys like they were, they were competing you know we, we were doing and uh i remember my first game was at uft and it was away at varsity stadium so it was a big stadium you have people in the stands it's nice and i was starting and i was like this is unreal and i was playing really well i got an assist in my first game and we were playing well we were just getting unlucky with the results and uh, it was just, I remember my first year soccer-wise, it was amazing. Like, I fell on top of the world. I was playing well. The team wasn't doing the best, but, like, we were just unlucky. You know what I mean? Like, we lose, like, 2-1, you know, 3-2, like, tough scores like that. And then, um, obviously, it didn't go well for us, and our coach got fired at the end of the year because, you know, there were some discipline problems on the team and results weren't going our way. And, like I said, it's a business. You don't win. You look bad for the university, you're done. And we can't get fired because we paid tuition to go here. So the coach gets fired and then a new coach came in, um, Tony. And I, I, I like Tony, I, I only have good things to say about Tony. 
Tony is is a great. He's been like a dad to me since he's been here, and he came in and it was just like, you know, it was it was more disciplined from the from the get go. You know, we were trading harder, and uh, I, I look back on my first year, man. It was, it, it, there was nothing negative in my first year. It was all positives, man. I had a really good time soccer wise. School wise, you struggle because it's your first year. You're away from home. You're like, oh yeah, there's like, like I said, there's, oh, there's girls, there's parties, there's this and that. I'm a varsity athlete, you know. I'm living life like it's fun. So your school kind of suffers, but then you know, second year you pick it back up and you're you're good to go. You know what I mean? So I think my my first year here, I I really enjoyed it. it was a, it was a good experience, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm staying. I'm not gonna transfer. I'm staying here. So since it's your fourth year now, is there certain advice that you give to the young guys that you know come in every year that are based off your personal experience from your first year, like on or off the field? Hundred hundred percent. Like. um I think every, every year that goes by, the advice changes because you learn more every year. You know what I mean? The more you experience, the more you learn, the, the more you can change your perspective. And I think, like, for first-year guys, like, I'd, I'd honestly say, like, make sure you keep track of your schoolwork. Because, like, in my first year, like, my first semester, like, I, I, was, I was on academic probation after my first semester. I was having fun because, you know, it was, it was, you know, you get your physio, you get to train, you get the, the team room. Even that, you know, and obviously it's your first time away from home. So there's going to be the parties, there's the girls, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You can do all that stuff. So you're not focused on school. So my advice is like, obviously focus on school. And then in terms of soccer wise, it's like, just take care of your body. Because like, you, you think you're invincible. You come in, but you, you don't recognize you're training five days a week, two games back to back. in any league is unheard of. That's not just, like, we know, like as athletes, that's not good for your body. You need at least 48 hours to recover from a game. So having to play having less than 24 hours to recover from a game is just uh, not not ideal. But if you don't take care of your body, if you're not ice bathing, you're not stretching, foam rolling, going to see physios, you know, warming up properly, cooling down properly, your body's going to suffer. You're going to get hurt. And you got to look at us last season where we had going to playoffs. We had, you know, I was injured and she was injured. Tyrell was injured. You know, Jamal was injured. Cody was injured. And these guys are all starters carrying injuries going into the playoff game, which is not good. Right. So soccer wise is always just take care of your body, you know, you know, put the right food in your body, do the right exercises, make sure you're working out, just take care of your body. Otherwise it, it gives out on you and then it, it creates problems. And I think that comes with experience too, because obviously when you come into your first year, you don't know all these things, but I think when you have leadership mm-hmm. that tells you all these things, it makes your job a little easier. Mm-hmm. So and I think too, like, like this year, like, like, I had to adjust my leadership style because growing up, like uh, playing, you know, playing league one, playing in Scarborough, like when you're playing with older guys, they're in your face. Yell- that's they're in their face yelling at you. Like I remember one time when I was playing league one and uh, I was playing, uh, was playing in the middle of the game. And um, our captain was this, 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 you know, this big guy, Marvin from, from France. He was like in his thirties and he called it, he called a steps. So when he calls step, the, the whole defensive line pushes up and they push up and I was late. I got pushed up like a second late. And he was in my face yelling at me. And I was like, I'm never messing up again. But like I learned this year, not everyone responds to that. I can't get in certain guys' face and start yelling at them because they'll just like, they'll sink. They don't respond to that. And to me, I was, I didn't understand that. I was like, why are you not listening to me when I'm yelling at you? You know what I mean? Like, why are you not responding? And it's because like certain kids, like kids, like they grew up in a different environment than I did. That doesn't work with them. So I had to adjust. And it took me like almost a whole season to adjust that style of leadership where me screaming at guys yelling at guys doesn't work all the time and i think uh as i had to learn that as a leader to adjust that 
And I think by the end, I finally got the hang of it where different guys want different things. But um, again, as, as leaders, you definitely do have to set a precedent. You learn so much when you're put in a leadership position about yourself. So what do you think is the biggest thing you learned about yourself be put in a leadership position? Well, I, I learned a lot, actually. I learned that I was like, I, I had a lot to work on myself. Like I had my own issues and problems I had to adjust. Because if I didn't check myself, I would be a terrible leader. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't recognize I had certain issues from this and that, I can, you know, like if I didn't recognize that, if I thought I was perfect, I wouldn't be able to lead. You know what I mean? And it has to be at a certain point. Like there was times even in practice where I'd get frustrated with guys and I'd be like, man, screw this before. But now as a leader, you like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that regardless. As a leader, you definitely can't do that. You like guys look up to you. You can't be the first guy to have your head down. You know what I mean? Like in games, you know, like as a leader, you have to recognize that you have to keep going when everyone else quits because they're looking to you. If a guy quits, you know, if a guy messes up, you know, Sometimes he needs a little, a little kick up the butt, but sometimes you've got to help him pick his head up. And it, to me, it was like to learn that not everyone responds the way I do to things, you know, not everyone is like me. And that's a big thing. Cause like, like I said, growing, like growing up, like when I, I was playing, I was playing league one um, when I was like 17, 18. So I was, I wasn't, I wasn't a captain. I was just, you know, I was a, I was a squad player. I, I you know, I was a starter. And then, you know, sometimes like it, it, it's semi pro. So it fluctuates. I wasn't a leader. That wasn't my role. My role is just, you know, you play, you play your position and, and when you get your chance, you take your chance. And I had guys that were great leaders and I had guys that were terrible leaders. And, you know, I just, uh, I learned, I took from that and brought it to the, this year because like me and Tyrell, we're the oldest on the team. We're, we're 97s. Guys this year coming in are 2002. That's a five year gap. They're not going to respond the way we respond to certain things because their life growing up has been completely different than the way ours was growing up. You know, that five-year gap, like I said, it comes in with the technology and social media. They had Snapchat stuff from the grand, they were in grade seven. That's going to change how they learn, how they respond. You know, all that social media, all the technology, it, it changes you. It rewires your brain. So um, I think, uh, yeah, just I learned that you have to be able to adjust. That's the biggest thing as a leader. There's no one right way to do things. And I think it took me, and I'm not going to lie, it took me a long time to realize that. Like, you know, like I, it took me months to realize that what I'm not doing, what I was doing wasn't working. I need to adjust. So following your first season, you guys make the playoffs, but you guys lose early in the first round and second round respectively. Just talk about where you think things went wrong and maybe some lessons you learned from those tough losses. Um, so first year was difficult because we didn't even make my, my first year. We didn't make playoffs. We, uh, like I said, it was just the coach. Had, but when I got there, um, you know, the senior guys didn't really, you know, like, it was just, it was a, there was a good group of players, but the coaching staff and my first year wasn't the best. And then second year, we, we have a new coach come in. Guys want to impress. Like, I know, I don't know, like, like if you were here when Chang was here, Tejon, but. um I've met him, but I wasn't. But like, like when Chang, like when Chang was here and he left and then Thomas came in, it's a whole new coach. You have to work your butt up to impress this new coach. So that was the thing with us. And we had like, um my second year, it was so competitive. Like I started the first few games, then. I, I didn't start coming in and I would come in at halftime and it was guys just competing for a role. And like everyone was fighting for that, for to start. And we, we were, we were amazing that year. Like we, we were dominant on set pieces offensively and defensively. Uh, we made playoffs and then um, we beat Queens in the first round away from home at Queens. And that game was, that was one of the, like the toughest games, but most rewarding games ever played in. And then we went away to Carlton and we lost, but you know, like 
Carlton's nationally ranked. They're an amazing program, an amazing team. And then last year, again, uh, my third year, again, like we, you know, we had a tough year with injuries. A lot of guys were hurt. We had a, we had a small squad. So we still made playoffs, but we lost in the first round. But I think the toughest, the, the best thing I learned from those losses is that you have to, you have to forget the losses a lot quicker than you forget the wins. Like if you, if you focus on a loss for too long, you start to doubt yourself. You know what I mean? You got like, you don't get wrong. Like a game's a game. When it's done, it's done. You win great. You lose. Oh, well you have to forget. But a loss, if you linger on a loss mentally, it'll affect your game. You're second that yourself. So like for me, like that's why I was so frustrated when the season got canceled. Cause my last memory of playing on the field was losing to UFT in playoffs. And I wanted to get on the field again so I could redeem myself and the team could redeem ourselves for that loss, but we didn't get the opportunity. So like, it, it was like a fuel for us. You know what I mean? You, you want to, you want to take those losses and you want to avenge them because no one likes losing. I like personally, I hate losing. I like, e- even if it's practice and it's like a small two on two game, I do not want to lose. Like I will, I will tackle you. I will bring you down. So I don't lose. That's how, that's how I, I operate. So for me, like having that taste of defeat as the last game I played, like I needed to, I need to get rid of that. And that's the thing I've learned from those losses. You have to, forget them quick otherwise it'll, it'll it'll destroy you make sure to tune in next week to hear part two and the conclusion of our interview with devin dudnaf see you there